What's up, guys? Welcome back to Engine 25 Reviews. This is a show where we chat movies, TV shows, generally nerd out about stuff we think is cool. If you like that, hit that subscribe button, ring that bell, tell your friends. I'm doing my best to get episodes out at least bi-weekly, usually on Sundays. Uh, but if you ring that bell, you'll never miss one. We're available on YouTube uh, as video and also as audio podcasts on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts, and Radio Republic. Just search Engine 25 Reviews, no space between Engine and 25 or hit one of the links in the show notes below my name is brandon i'm your host you can find me at engine 25 on all the things sometimes with an underscore uh sometimes we're or well sometimes today we're talking uh star wars and or on disney plus but uh before we get there i'm going to introduce our panel uh we've got my buddy adam he's your uh basic nerd and star wars fan uh we've got peter uh is the He's a professional droid motivator specialist, ready and available to accommodate all of your droid motivator needs. Uh, and also Chase, who is uh, just a tourist. He stumbled in on the street, and I invited him on the show. Uh, regular Star Wars crew, if you've seen our other uh, reviews about Star Wars on Disney+. Plus, uh, I do have a question for you, Chase. Came up in my uh, me memories on social media today. 14 years ago, on November 25th, we attempt, you, myself, and some other uh, nerve herders who hate our lives, um, attempted and completed the endless set list in Rock Band 2. Uh, and I'm wondering if you remember that, because it was a good time. I'll never forget it. It took all night. Uh, it did. It's 84 songs, I think. Something like that, yeah. It's nuts. Uh, and, of course, the most challenging songs are at the end. And uh, it was actually our second attempt that we were successful because the first attempt, we were on the last song, and you know Xbox controllers have the Xbox button, and if you press it, that pauses the game. If you pause the game, you don't get the achievement in the endless set list. You have to play through the whole thing. So we You're right. We did it twice. Attempt. Yeah, we did it twice because somebody in the final song accidentally pressed the Xbox button, which was easy to do on those guitar control uh, controllers. Uh, so, yeah, so, yeah, good, good yeah. times, dude. We, uh, and it's um, Is that before or after the time where we failed on the next to last song, Vision by Abnormality. Because nobody probably, ever I think it's the same it time. I think, garbage. yeah, <laughs> uh, it's, I think it's probably the same attempt. We went to we went to Keenan's house and we started at like six o'clock the night before. And then I got home to get ready for Thanksgiving at 11 o'clock the next day. So like, I went home, took an hour nap, got in the shower for five minutes and went and, and had, had Thanksgiving dinner. Um, so, you know, that's uh, it was a good time. It was a good time. How are uh, how are you doing, Peter? Haven't seen you uh, in a while. Actually, Chase either. But what's going on? Well, I uh, I spent the summer in the hospital. Almost died. Oh, I'm um, glad you didn't die. How's that? How'd that go? I am too. I, I mean, it went okay. And then you know there was um one there was Obi Wan, and that really didn't help. Uh, so <laughs> I was really looking forward to Andor. And I didn't know what to expect. And I'm glad we're talking about it today. You know, we funny you mentioned that um, back when they announced like the Disney plus Star Wars slate, like 2018, 2019, whatever it was, um, Disney plus launched in 2019. So it's probably like that Comic Con that year or whatever. Um, Andor is the thing. 
like uh, the Obi-Wan show was the one I was the most excited about, you know, but Andor is the one that would that that had me like the most intrigued because I really didn't know what to expect. You know, we only have Andor at that point from Rogue One. Um, and it was, you know, that was the question mark, like, OK, so they're they're filling this. And he says in the movie, you know, I've been in this fight since I was six years old. So, OK, maybe they're going to tell us what he was doing when he was six years old or some. The, this show is even very unclear about how old he is. So, like, there's a lot of a lot of filling in and there we get some flashbacks and stuff with 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 Cassian. But it was definitely the one where I was like, huh. They could do something really special with this because nobody knows what to expect from it. I would also say like in the lead up, it was it probably had like the least buzz online. Like people like, why are why are they making a show about this guy? I don't care about this guy. Also, why did why did the Boba Fett show suck? I don't care. <laughs> like it makes me care about this show about a guy I don't even know even less because the other shows have disappointed people. Uh, by the way, I stand by that Obi Wan is now required viewing for me. But you know that's a whole other, that's a whole other conversation. Um, I won't let someone watch Obi Wan if they want to date me and get into Star Wars. I'm just gonna pretend like that didn't happen. Dude, I I love Obi Wan and Little Leia. I lo I love it so much. I'm, a, oh. I'm an Obi Wan fan. That, I mean, that's why I couldn't sit into that uh, episode review with you guys, because I had nothing good to say. Yeah, except well, I like Ewan McGregor. Oh. I, I, I didn't have uh, all good things to say about I did, it. I didn't have um, all good things to say either. I just think that when it when it hit right, it hit like it, it, it nailed it. You know, and it, it, there's definitely some stumbles. It's a little clumsy. There's a little, you know, there's some weirdness. But when it when it gets it right, it gets it very right. I'll say this. Um, if Obi-Wan were airing after Andor had come out, I think it would have really soured its reception um, because it would have been so disappointing. Andor is from top to bottom. Well, I mean, and maybe I'm jumping ahead a little bit by. Oh, no. Well, yeah. To, did, tell it. me what you think about Andor. It was real good. Uh, it's I real mean, good. In, in virtually every respect, um, the writing, the acting, the, the, the production of it all the the uh i mean the action scenes too right i mean every single bit of it was peak star wars like like exceeding any peak that star wars had previously established probably and um and you know it, to follow that up with with obi-wan would have been like oh okay well um maybe maybe star wars isn't that cool uh but uh i right now i'm hyped i'm like can we get some more of this is this what star wars is gonna be like now i mean they they keep lately they've been giving us a uh they've been giving us a lot of star wars and i like this particular star war is it's it's one of the best star wars you know what i mean like they i i'm right there with you uh what um adam you I haven't have uh, yeah yeah go yeah. go peter well, my, my question is, do you think that the execs listen to this show? And if they do, I want to pitch a comedy style Star Wars with the X-Wing pilots pulling people over. Yeah, I would watch uh, 30 hours of that there. I could see them doing like the Star Wars shorts. Uh, thing. Let me let me check in. I can see my subscriber list. Uh, Adam, talk about. Uh, give me some general thoughts on Andor uh, while I while I look up who, who, who listens to my show. 
bounce off of that idea. Instead of it only being the X-Wing pilots, it could bounce back and forth between the X-Wing pilots and the two scout troopers out on patrol. Uh, I've got, I've got 38, 30, 38 subs. So the odds are I mean, good. Half of them have to work for Disney. Yeah, so that's, 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 that's statistics. Well, you know, I mean, I think that at one point in its in its production, the solo movie was intended to be like a comedy movie, right? It was supposed to be like pretty light and uh, and and fun, and it was revised to be more in the vein of the other Star Wars movies and kind of match their tone better, which I think was a mistake. It would have been a lot of fun to see what is this? Why can't we do a comedy in Star Wars? And I think this shows a proof of concept that you can actually explore a lot of different genres in Star Wars. It doesn't have to just be like, uh, you know, an epic operatic space battle or a Western. Uh, it can be anything. Uh, Star Wars is a whole galaxy that can accommodate any story you want to tell. Um, yes, and, uh, and there, yeah. I've been saying that for so long. The, the Star Wars galaxy, just as a concept, it is so big like it is unfathomably vast in such a way that no individual can really like comprehend how many people would exist in a galaxy if there are this many planets that are inhabited like this you know what i mean like there are like how many people live on coruscant alone like obviously that's a population center there would there's more people there than maybe any other planet but like you know tit uh, is it like is it like a hundred billion people? Like, uh, is it is it anywhere close? Like and that's one Earth. and that's one planet. Um, and you know, and there are tens of thousands of of uh, inhabited planet inhabited planets in Star Wars. Like, you're there's so much that like you're th this kind of st like every kind of story that you could imagine can happen within Star Wars and still follow the rules of Star Wars. And it's only because Star Wars as a concept is so like, is just so vast, but they keep wanting to go back to this very small thing, you know? And one thing I will say, like before we get, get into the show in a whole lot of detail Andor does not have to be a Star Wars show. I think it, it, it works really well because it's a Star Wars show, but it does not. Uh, we lost chase there for a second. That's okay. Um, it would work just as well if it were another IP or a new show altogether, but it would not. Um, let's say if the Obi-Wan show, for example, that the, the parts of Obi-Wan that work only work because it's Star Wars and we know those characters. You know what you I mean? You have to have space wizards yes. for that to work. Um, whereas like, you know, there are so many characters in Star Wars that we've never met. There are literally more characters in Star Wars that we will never see than characters that will ever be in movies. Like, does that make sense? So it's, you can focus on these like really small, tighter stories and still make it something new and special that doesn't have to interact with anything else. You know, and they they keep rubbing up against the Skywalker saga, even like I'm wearing a Mandalorian shirt right now, even even the Mandalorian, you know, like it dips its toe in the Skywalker saga, you know, and not that I'm I'm not going to tell you I wasn't cheering when Luke showed up at the end of season two, but like it didn't have to do that. Um, and I don't 
Andor doesn't do that, right? There are, but Wolfie Lauren is in there, you know, like there's a face that was in the back corner of that, of the first Star Wars movie, but it's not, you know, he didn't have a speaking part. Like it's not, we are talking about characters that exist in the Skywalker saga. The Emperor is mentioned many times, but the Emperor has nothing to do with this story. Um, and uh, Luke Skywalker, other Jedi are nowhere to be found here. You know, and that's, uh, I just think it speaks to Chase's point is that, uh, again, what I said, well, well, Chase was disconnected. There is more Star Wars that we will never see. There are more characters in Star Wars that we will never meet than characters that we will meet on screen or on on the page just because Star Wars conceptually is such a vast thing and they keep going back and then doing these stories that are very similar in tone and structure where they can do what like the the universe has so much stuff in it that they can do whatever they want and they don't have to keep going back to the same style and they keep doing it and I'm so glad that they didn't do it here. Awkward silence. It's really enriched enriched our experience that they uh, that this is a, a diverse um, uh, tone and, and genre piece. Um, also, you know, when it comes to cameos, I'm feeling kind of like, I mean, okay, I, when uh, when we were in Boba Fett, uh, the book of Boba Fett, when Cad Bane showed up, I was like, oh yeah, it's Cad Bane. Now that didn't make the show good. But I was no. hyped to see Cad Bane. Also, Cad Bane crazy. didn't do anything cool. Luke did he, cool he, stuff no, no, in no. The Mandalorian. Dude, Cad Bane's existence and seeing that character walk onto the screen was a big deal for me. Like, just because I love character design in Star Wars. Oh, yeah. Like, and Cad Bane is a walking trope that somehow works. Like, I, I love Cad and, Bane. Yeah. And the whole He's blue thing. Like, yeah. I mean, because I'm just saying. Star Wars like, is a trope. So Star Wars made all the tropes. Right in. Well, but but that's all to say that, you know, when Cad Bane shows up, OK, it did have an effect on me, but I don't know that it really enriched the show. I agree. with And that. I've been reflecting on on like kind of the, the cameo uh, Star Wars phenomenon kind of in the way that like when the Harlem Go Globetrotters have a cameo in Scooby Doo. Right. It's like, oh, I know who those guys are. Right. Like. Uh, they aren't really part of Scooby-Doo, but but they're here in this episode. And the original trilogy, even, the characters from that kind of feel like they're the Harlem Globetrotters in Scooby-Doo. It's like, oh, yeah, Luke Skywalker's here in this episode. He's not really a part of this story. He's never going to be a part of this story because we're too afraid to make a Luke Skywalker story. So he can only show up and be a friendly face and say, hey, guys, it's me, Luke Skywalker. And then and then be gone and have not really made a a big lasting impact on the characters that he he met, and that's too bad because um, you know, the it's it's almost like there's a partition in Star Wars media now between like the movies and particularly the original trilogy and the prequels, and then like everything that Dave Filoni has made. And I love everything that Dave Filoni has made, but it's almost like a world unto itself that only incorporates the movies by reference. Um, I would say maybe Clone Wars is not that way so much, but but I'm mostly talking about the live action shows, right? Um, and uh, and and I, I would was, I, I want to throw in one more cameo. I would say that especially in the Mandalorian, the planets that we see 
in a lot of ways are just like Luke Skywalker showing up. Going back to Tatooine is like, oh, I know that planet. Right. But like, why did we go back to Tatooine? And if the answer is we because that's where Peli Mato lives, I'm willing to accept that. <laughs> I, right. I mean, Andor was willing to say like, hey, this is a planet called Narkina 5. It's new. Uh, this is a planet called Morlana 1. It's uh, you don't know anything about it. You don't need to know anything about it. We'll tell you. We'll show you uh, what it's like. And, and I mean, that's a fun ride for all of us that, that you know, it's like, yeah, this is a guy named Nemec. Here's his deal. You've never seen him before. This is the guy who, you know, um, Anto Krieger. I was like, okay, this seems like he's a reference to somebody, right? Like he was probably in some, no, he's a new guy. He's, a, he's just a new guy. Uh, that rules. Adam, I think we cut you, dude. <laughs> what happened? Like, well, I, I, we just haven't gotten first impressions. Where are you at with all this, man? Are you talking about me? No, no, no. He said Adam. That's me. Oh. Yeah. No. Uh, I mean, I haven't had anything to say because I, I essentially agree on all counts. Um, I've been saying ever since the show first came out, like screaming it on the mountains of everybody's Facebook statuses that. Andor is a perfect example um, of star of how Star Wars is a, a setting and it is not a genre, and that's something I think Disney struggled with since the acquisition because is Star Wars a setting or is it a genre? And I think that question is more complex. And as the season went on, Andor made me question my even my initial uh, view on that. But so, it definitely begins, and it shows that it is strong as a setting. As Brandon said, it's a huge galaxy, and you can tell any story that you want. It doesn't always have to be Star Wars, the story of good versus evil. I feel like one of the strategies that they've had that I actually enjoy is a, a lot of the auxiliary shows and like Rogue One are answering questions that we all had. Like... It, it's almost infuriating to me that we have the mini Bothans died lady on tap and we still haven't seen a Bothan die. Mm -hmm. So calling out season two, I want a bunch of Bothans to die because. Yeah, but that's for the second Death Star. Oh, you're right. For that. Many Bothans yeah, gotta... died during the second Death Star. Well, no, yeah. Um, so like season three. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Well, um, I think they've already. Well, uh, there can't be an Andor after after that, right? It have to be a different show. Oh, you're. I'm sorry, guys. Yeah. yeah. We, Spo we spoilers for Rogue End One. We know the end of Andor. Um, he gets to hold hands finally. There, there is oh. a finite point in the timeline where it cannot progress beyond. Um, Adam, you you mentioned uh, good and evil, um. And you, you put some stuff in the in in the the notes here. I can you talk about that? I know um, some of the Disney Star Wars material that has divided some of the fan base. Uh, touched on the nature of good and evil and ally, you know, enemies versus allies, in interesting ways before, and some of that was not well received. You know, I. 
the since Star what? Wars was a thing, we've had this scum and villainy, like this gray area where there's bounty hunters and stuff. But anytime we really try to explore that, people get annoyed by it or like like the good and evil is definitely core to what Star Wars is. Um, but I think that there's so much more to it. And I think you you uh, I was wondering if you had anything to say in in that uh, regard. Yeah. yeah, yeah, go ahead. Um, that's where most of my thoughts uh, today leading up to this were. That's why I added a bunch of notes about it. But um, I think, especially with the sequel trilogy, something that Disney tried to do is I guess they tried to mature the story of Star Wars and make, like, try to say, oh, look, the good guys aren't always good. They do some bad things, which becomes a problem because then that also means if the good guys aren't always good, then that means the bad guys aren't always bad we've already established in Star Wars, that's why you have salvation arcs. But bad guys are only ever not bad when they turn good. And that's why every evil character that we focused on in any Star Wars as a protagonist or an antagonist who eventually becomes a protagonist turns to the good side. Um, that's Agent Callus. That's uh, uh, what's her name from Battlefront 2. Like all of the significant Imperial characters eventually turn to good and i think that's that's supposed that's fundamental to what star wars is and i think that's something disney struggled with and andor really knocked out of the park in that the uh, a core conflict of good versus evil there is a very clear line there's no shadow between the light and the dark there is a line and there is good and evil and an individual character can make choices to cross that line and, for example, that's what a lot of the characters in Andor are doing. And they realize that that's probably damning and there might not be a place for them in the galaxy they're trying to create. But that doesn't sully the light or save the dark. Those two sides are still diametrically opposed and only the characters can start crossing that line. And I think Disney tried to do it a little ham-handedly in the sequel trilogies or trilogy with like Luke Skywalker, and kind of gave him a gray storyline. But Luke isn't a character, Luke is an icon. And I think that's why so many people were offended by that. Like, a character like Cassian Andor can toe that line or cross that line. But Luke Skywalker, he he towed that line once, and he won. He So I... he is an icon of the light. But we're not here to talk about raise the last you, Jedi, so. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to make this a thing about the Last Jedi. But I I will just add that like same movie. Benicio del Toro does this whole thing where like okay, he helps the good guys a little bit, and then he helps the bad guys a little bit, and then he points out that all of these rich people are rich because they've sold weapons to the Empire and to the Resistance. You know, and that's you and we we get a lot of that like high society kind of life where these people are. And I'm sorry, in, in Andor, we get some of this, like a lot of this high society kind of life surrounding Mon Mothma and the people she works with are all rich because they're bastards, you know, and they're some of the, you know, she's she's financing the the what what exists of the rebellion at this point. She's kind of trying to bankroll it, but she's also, you know, she's playing it close to the chest and trying to do her thing. Um, but she knows that she's surrounded by people who will bit like not necessarily that they're evil people or would do evil acts but or that they would commit evil acts like murder or whatever but people that would will benefit from the empire staying in place um so they're not in a position to 
like take action against the empire because if the if if the empire goes away it hurts them even though they wouldn't necessarily fight for the empire's cause if that makes sense uh and, you know and there's a like there's a lot of that in this show like so we were talking about cassian before i kind of to pivot it around mon mothma but i think like they're developing themes that were clumsily introduced in the last jedi and making them make more sense and well, developing it in more detail that's why I said, like, in The Last Jedi, it's really ham-handed, because when Benicio Del Toro's character brings that up, it's not a... Like, he's like, oh, look, these people work for both sides. It's not one character or another. So what Andor does right is, at, at its core, this story is how each one of those characters negotiates walking up to that line between light and dark. Hard choices. I mean, that... The, the, and, and Benicio Del Toro was like, the light is sometimes bad. The, the good and the evil I mean, can't be the other We like to think Andor's a good guy, but like he commits straight-up murder. Sometimes well, it's an accident, sometimes it's not. That's just it. I, I think I think it's so interesting the way that that um that you're approaching this because it's quite different from from how it occurs to me intuitively. Oh, but I, mean, yeah. I, I don't I don't disagree with, with a lot of what you said, but I, I feel like the story of Star Wars in the original trilogy, certainly. It's a story about good and evil. It's very archetypal. Uh, when you get to the prequels, that's when actually Star Wars stops being so cut and dry about good and evil. Because you have characters like Anakin, who we see are doing bad things for not terrible reasons, right? He's like, yeah, I slaughtered the whole like all the sand people i killed them all real dead but they had my mom as a slave and it's like well uh, okay like they had they had kidnapped your mom and he's also like also i'm harboring resentment for the jedi because they didn't let me go save my mom earlier and it's like okay well the jedi in a standard black and white story the jedi are just the straight up good guys but it sounds like they made a mistake here it sounds like they are misguided and they are leading anakin uh, away from what he intuits to be good. And and we see that develop further with Padme, where he's like, I want to save Padme. And the Jedi's like, nah, dude, like don't even <laughs> don't even care about people. And it's like, well, maybe the Jedi are wrong about this. And Anakin is coming at this from a place of love and wanting to do something good. Um, but maybe in the wrong way. And so I think we're seeing blurred lines there in the prequels. Um about who is good and who is bad and why they're doing bad things for good reasons, perhaps. Um, and I think nothing illustrates that better than the fact that the Republic and the separatists are run by the same guy. I mean, to whatever extent this is a story about good and evil, who are the good guys and who are the bad guys when it's one puppet master behind both armies? Um, I think it, it kind of is already making this statement that maybe they're not so different. Um, in Andor, I think we see that that maybe this delineation between good and bad isn't useful, uh, or good and evil, I should say. I think that's a clearer framing. It's not a useful framing. Maybe it exists, but who cares? The point is, like, how can you materially impact the world you live in? Um, are you going to dip your toe in the dark side to do it? Maybe. What is the dark side? Can you beat? Can you make life better by doing it? You know, that's the more important question. 
Um, and it's not so much about how this affects your alignment points in like a Mass Effect or, or KOTOR way. Um, and, um, and, and I mean, it's an interesting discussion to, to engage with in Andor. And I think Andor handles it artfully. And I think Luthen is a great uh, uh, kind of vantage point for this, this, uh, di this discussion. Um, but we haven't thrown up a spoiler tag yet. And yes, I because that's uh, I'm going to we're going to talk about Luthen when we get to that point in the season, um, because that's uh, Luthen is it, he 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 he, he Luthen toes the line for sure. Um, he doesn't toe the line. He, <laughs> he's, no, on, no. he's on the other side. Luthen yeah. does evil things. And, and I one of you guys who's way better at quotes than me. I just this whole show to me seems to answer one of the open quotes from Rogue One, uh, where uh, Cassian Andor is like, we've all done terrible things for this rebellion, and now it's our time to redeem ourselves. Um, that's not the exact line. I'm sorry, I'm not great with lines. But to me, I was just like, what terrible stuff did you do? Can we see that? Now we can. Yeah, that's that's kind of, you know, we're we're filling in the gaps here, you know. Let's uh, we we talked about Mon Mothma a little bit. We 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 poked Luthen, but we're gonna we're gonna get get, get a little bit. We're definitely gonna talk about Luthen a little bit more. Um, let's, let's talk about some of the the other cast here. Uh, Diego Luna is amazing, um, and he you know he's um, hasn't been in a whole lot of like American movies, but like he was one of the two kids in E2 Mama Tambi, and like he's a Diego Luna has been around a while and he's in a bunch of good stuff. Uh, and he's just as good. And like, he's, uh, uh, again, like we, we, we haven't thrown a spoiler tag, but there's, he has a lot to say without saying anything. Um, you know, there, he, he gives, uh, I he, looking sad and confused all the time. Uh, but he's but is he sad and confused? Like he's I Luthen is Luthen's real smart and he picks up on like people when he picks up on it when people are fucking with him, like pretty pretty easy. Um you know, he 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 kind of knows that he's a loose end and stuff, and like, you know, like he's he and he puts on an act. He uh during during one of the episodes, you know, he he has a a uh, brief casual casual fling with uh with a character that we never see again. Um and that's I, like I am convinced it's because he wants to look normal because he knows that if he's attracts attention to himself, it's going to be bad, you know, but he also, he, he, he just wants to look like a guy who's on vacation. So he does things that a guy who's on vacation does. Um, but when he's actually there to work and he's there for a specific purpose, um, and Diego, Diego Luna kind of, he, he, he walks both sides of that very well, I think. Go ahead, Adam. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if, as a character, I don't think it's that he's trying to look just like a guy on vacation. I think his motivation for the first half of the series, in very general terms, is trying to get away. And in that half of the series, his response to get away is to just get away and be normal. It's the realization later that you you can't just get away. Yeah, the Empire is oh, yeah. not going to allow that. Okay, since we're talking about the first half of this season, hold on. Well, this is the, the, oh, oh, okay. I'm sorry. We will. I we, we will talk about spoilers. I go out. Of, we're, 
I know, I know. We're, and it's like, it's a spoiler. I just have a, I have a genuine question. Yeah, please. That I want to ask you guys later. I, I can wait, but it's, it's, it's about the first couple of episodes and something that I don't understand. Okay. Got it. We will, we'll certainly come back to that. Remember okay. it. I'll, I'll drop a note in here, uh, but there are, there are some other things I want to talk about. And for some of these characters, it'll definitely be easier to discuss in, in spoilers. Um, Oh, I hope you didn't hear that. I just smacked the microphone. Um, well, one thing I do want to talk about that we can keep kind of general, the the production design of this show and and the, yes, like the, the look of everything, but also like the technical design of this show. You know, like the, it is different than... It like it's so Star Wars, but it's also so different. I know, I know. Peter has some stuff. He he would. Peter was just showing a a cool thing. Uh, Peter, put put uh, some cool stuff back on camera, and I'll give you the single and tell us about it. All right. Um. So, uh, I recently went through a breakup, and the way that I solved my breakup energy was by buying props that I saw from Andor on ebay and the amazing thing is <laughs> these are all new things introduced into the star wars universe so they're still really cheap on ebay nice. this is a bell and how camera similar to the binox that you electro binoculars you see in the show this is an original light gun from england uh that gets turned into the corpo milano morlano blasters um I was also able to pick up some vintage electronics that they use. And as much as possible, the production team used things that were available in the 70s and to to try to nail the Star Wars uh, look and feel. You can see the Vita Mixer in one of the episodes. Um, Excellent. Which was future, it's a retro futuristic staple. Yeah. Um, really go back and watch those episodes they've taken so many common items there's a sewing kit and a hexagonal sewing kit that was very popular in the late 70s they've taken these common items and put them in this universe and now because we're 50 years out they actually feel exotic and that's kind of wild to me and that that's my whole statement on that if y'all go look at parts of star wars it's a facebook group you can pick up these things for cheap right now because um I mean, I don't know who's going to carry this stuff around except cosplayers. <laughs> well, I mean, that's how the props were made for the original trilogy, is it was all random stuff. And now a lot of that stuff is really expensive because of cosplayers. Yeah, right. But that's also, I mean, in addition to the random items uh, that they've implemented, the things that they crafted also, I think they really had an eye toward the original trilogy aesthetic and this like 70s vision of futurism uh, where, where like the screens, uh, all the displays are like, you know, just very basic. It's like they're it's like they're watching someone play Pong. Right. And yeah. they're like, oh, look, look at the battlefield. Right. Like we've totally wiped them out. And it's just a bunch of little dots on a screen. And it's like. You know, sure, that's if they this takes place before a new hope, and this is where technology is in a new hope, so that's cool. Uh, you know, they, they've like it's it's a, a loving attention to to detail, but also you know, to to the aesthetic itself, uh, in, in the costumes. Um, bear this in mind too, really trying to, to show 
the development of some of like the the fashion, like the the rebel uniforms, um, are are clearly alluded to by like the outfit that Brasso's wearing on Ferrix. He's wearing the orange jumpsuit that is going to become what we see the rebels wearing. And the outfits that they're wearing in the prison too are also these like white and orange. They're, they're clearly going to develop into what we see the rebels wearing in, in the original trilogy. The, the guns that they take from the prison are clearly of the same kind as the blasters that the rebels are using in the original trilogy, right? Like, like these, it's it's just you know it was thoughtful right and and that kind of development we have it in the prequel trilogy too right it's like you see how the ship is becoming a tie fighter do you see how this this ship's becoming an x-wing like do you see how we're getting there uh it's kind of continuing that tradition of seeing how we get to whereas in the uh, sequel trilogy they're like oh that the x-wing isn't the next isn't the, the previous step to another thing we just have a, an x-wing in the right. trilogy. <laughs> It's bl- yeah. they gave it a new paint job. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, yeah. And the and engines are different and stuff, but it's like was a little different. Yeah, the 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 engines are different in the on the T seventy, but it's not like the Arc one seventy to the the T sixty five X wing. It's just an, an X wing. <laughs> like that's like the you know. Right, and then when they when they had a chance to make more fighters, they were like, "Here's another X wing, and here's another A wing, and oh yeah, you don't really see it, but there is another Y wing." There is. Um, so okay, I've got a, a comment ahead, in this vein. Yeah, go. Yeah, so uh, I just wanted to talk about Luthen's ship for just a second. The Fondor. Um, yeah, the Fondor. Thank you. Um, if you guys, I noticed this. There's only one clear shot of the Fondor. Like they did not pay us off. It's an amazing ship, and there are so few direct shots of it. Um. I just want to watch budget, budget, the Fondor. Budget, budget, budget. Okay, budget. <laughs> Go ahead. All right, that's a fine answer. I'm willing to take that answer. Yeah, and you're and, and it's not it's not that I disagree, disagree with you. Like it's a it's a very cool ship. Like and Adam and I used to play uh, Star Wars X Wing, the tabletop game, and that is something that I want a little miniature of to put on my shelf. Um, now, uh, so talking about production design, I I'm gonna move make a slight pivot i want to talk about the the vision like the visual presentation here the cinematography because it is like compared to the the really era precise production design like you guys were talking about it also uses like really modern cinema style like but but it like it feels right like hmm, the Okay, I I wrote this out, so I'm going to read it so I don't just stumble over my words here. Uh, Andor has the best technical design of any Disney Plus series, maybe maybe any Star Wars in the Disney era. Like, the first arc looks and feels more like a a Blade Runner series than, like, a Star Wars show. Um, And it's the, you know, it's a lot of, uh, like... Un, uh, unusual angles and like uh, starting with the very first shot the like you you uh you see the star wars logo you see like the you hear the andor music and you see the andor logo pop up um and then the first shot is a dolly shot passing those vertical lights in the rain like and that is just there's nothing literally nothing like that in 
anywhere else in, in Star Wars. You know, and, and it's it's just like it's a really simple thing. It's just like it's establishing this this location, but it's like, OK, it's a it's a long bridge and he's walking across this long bridge in the dark. But it's really like really pointed and this is very it's not again it's nothing like anything we've seen from star wars we're gonna it's star wars for all the great many things that it does you know it has interesting transitions with the wipes and stuff that have gone all the way back to a new hope but it doesn't do a whole lot creatively with the camera it's mostly just uses low angles you know like there's a reason that that han solo always looks super tall and it's because they put the camera at his chest height because it makes him look big and heroic you know like there's but that's really really basic uh, and it gets the point across, you know, like Han, Han Solo is a super cool guy and he doesn't think he's a hero. He's this like scoundrel dude. But we all know that in his heart, he's a hero. And they tell us that from very early on because the way they film him. Um, and but, you know, they don't do that with Andor. Andor doesn't. He's he's not standing on camera like this big superheroic dude. He's, uh, you know, like, it, it, Chase, it looks looking like you're uh, about to say something. Well, I mean, they're able to create so much tension in this yes. way. I, I mean, I'm thinking about like the eye of Aldani where I, I, it's not a spoiler to just say, I guess that there is a tie fighter in it, but there is a tie fight. Actually, there are several instances of a tie fighter just flying by. Adam right? dropped in the notes. There's this phenomenal shot where they're passing through the eye and the tie pilot is boarding his tie fighter. And Adam says yeah. it's straight up the best single shot in star Wars. <laughs> it's so good. And that's, that's what I thought of first, but then thinking of that made me also think about how earlier when the crew is still, they're still kind of doing recon. They haven't started the, the, the job yet. And TIE fighters are just like flying by, just kind of just doing just, just bots, on, right? on patrol, you know, just doing their thing. It, and it's, it's how, one TIE fighter and they're terrified of it. It's terrifying. And, and you can't the noise, that. The, the noise, the, the sound design on that. Right. And, and as you guys are describing these things, what I'm thinking about is these are visual metaphors, right? So that opening Absolutely. shot, that opening shot of a long bridge in the dark with the rain that's the entire story of Andor. Yes. And yes. The, the the terrifying Tie Fighter swooping down. Of course, I don't know if this is a spoiler, but one of the characters says um, they're trying to like scare us from above, but it's it's even more terrifying when we come from below or something. Yeah. yeah. And again, I wish I was good with quotes. Just dump over good. that. Um. But but what you guys are describing as great design to me is like these incredibly powerful new visual metaphors that we get yes, because they stick with us. It's yeah, in, intentional it. design. No. Yeah. Like you're, um, they, they put the camera in a specific place or they do a specific movement with the camera and they're doing it because they're trying to tell you something. And you know, you under, it's the kind of thing where you understand, even if you don't, you know, like I camera, camera work and photography, that's like my whole life. So I, 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 I pause and go frame by frame and look really closely at these things, but that's the, you know, I focus on that and try to find it. But you know, the, the most important thing is you're like, if you don't noticing it, if you're if you're not noticing it, but you're understanding it anyway, uh, and I that's it's very subtle. It doesn't really draw attention to itself, but it's getting it's telling you a lot of information very deliberately and nobody's saying anything when they do it. You know, and that's Guys, uh, I've never been afraid of a TIE fighter before. Every time I see a TIE fighter, I'm like, 
oh, they're just going to die. Yeah, Lu- right? Luke I is going mean, to, Luke like, or Han's going to pull the trigger and the TIE fighter's going to blow up and everything's going to be great. I mean, they're, like, yeah, they're just a thing there to blow up. But then suddenly in Andor, it, and it's not just the TIE fighter, it is that you begin to see that the Empire in every way is disregarding or disrupting the lives of all these people. Absolutely. Because I've never, I've never fully understood until Andor why people hated the empire so much right we knew we were supposed to we knew that the emperor was evil but in a galaxy with billions upon billions of sentience they don't know the emperor what they know is that like i'm not allowed to talk about the people of aldani yet am i you can go ahead go ahead okay well i'm going to continue this thought so yeah yeah please the people of aldani have a superstition and religion that's key to the story of Andor. But what we see is that the the Empire has not only contempt for what they're doing, but is actively destroying their culture. And we have seen the Empire do terrible things, like bomb out an entire planet. But we've never seen them, through bureaucracy and contempt, destroy a local culture. And to me, when you look at that, there's kind of nothing worse you can do as a government. And 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 so finally we understand that. Yeah, well, and also, I mean, Tony Gilroy has indicated in interviews that he's, uh, you know, he's coming at this as a, a history buff, which is not so dissimilar from George Lucas's approach in a lot of a lot of cases. But I mean, like the people of Aldani, uh, their plight is similar to the the situation that Scottish Highlanders found themselves in. Um, uh, under under British colonial rule, and I mean the the parallels are quite blatant, right? They're filming this in the Scottish Highlands, right? I mean the the this is um uh, they even call it the, the Highlands, and they've pushed the people into the Lowlands where they can be productive members of the empire's industrial complex instead of living the lives they were living before. Um, th- this is, ex- I mean, this is a real thing from history and, and, uh, it's, it's pretty, uh, it, on the nose. And I mean, you can tell these kinds of nuanced and informed stories when you have something of substance to say, right. When, when you're willing to say, I think that what the British empire did there was bad. Uh, if you are willing to make that statement then you can impose it on the Empire's actions and tell a story that means something. Uh, and I was beating this drum in our Obi-Wan episode, too. Uh, much much as, as you just said, it was never clear to me that the Empire did anything wrong unless you're Force-sensitive. And then, okay, they're rounding you up, but my understanding is Force-sensitives are kind of rare. And, uh, it, you know, what does is, what is the ordinary citizen's life look like in the Empire? Uh, are, are they safe? Are they happy? Are they free? We don't know. We never see them. We only ever see the chosen ones. Um, what do ordinary people look like? And Andor hits that out of the park. They show us the ordinary people. They show us their communities. They show us them having meals together. They show parents and children uh, spending quality time together and, and what lessons you know Andor learns from his mom or dad, right? I mean, they they have an old dog in droid form, right? The, these are all like my boy be too emo. Yes, he's so good, and I weep openly every time I see him. And uh, it's just like these these are the kinds of personal stories that have been missing 
and I love to see them. It is so uh, it, it enhances the world of Star Wars immeasurably. It it absolutely does, and you know, and I'm not, I I don't want to hate on Star Wars for not doing it previously, but like you know, like we had 12 hours of this show, and we that gives it time to breathe, and we can really look and see these things and examine them closer than we really ever could have before, at least. Uh, in the visual mediums, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a novel guy. I've read quite a few of the comics since Disney's taken over. Um, but, you know, so I, I only say that to say that I don't know if they talk about the average folk in, in the novels, but they really don't much in the comic books. So. No, the um, novels have primarily been focused on heroes um, yeah. like like the previous media we've gotten. And, and I anticipated stuff. that to be the case. Yeah, there's some stuff like in the Ahsoka novel. Um which I guess has been retconned now by Tales of the Jedi. Uh, uh, but <laughs> it, it was canon. Uh, there, there's also, there's some interesting retcons in Andor, if you can call them that. Uh, and I don't think it's a spoiler to say, like, if you look at the, the visual guide for Rogue One, there's some background information on, like, Cassian. And it says he's from a planet called Fest, right? And then early oh. early in this show, they point out, or, like, somebody's talking about about Cassian. I was like, where is Cassian from? It was like, well, his his Imperial criminal record says he's from Fest. But we, we learned through the show he's actually from a different planet. So it's like, that book, that Rogue One visual companion, like, that's like, Imperial. that's the Imperial propaganda version version not the factual version like then it's and it's like i almost yeah, think but that, i appreciate that, that that's, the attention to detail yes. that they went through to make that reference because like you and three other people are the only people that would complain about it on reddit i would not well <laughs> i know. didn't complain about it i thought it was great but i have seen <laughs> i read reddit and there were complaints about it um but yeah before we go to spoilers um somebody said they want to talk about the music but didn't say who it was so if you want to talk sure. about the music of andor which is awesome uh please go ahead yes i wrote that the music's so sick and it's all it's another thing that's like a departure from what we have come to expect as standard fare in star wars don't get me wrong john williams scores are incredible they're the best in the business but this is not that and it works. It, it works real well from like the kind of like synthy techno on Niamos. Yeah. Uh, I, I mentioned like, Blade Runner before. Like it's like the, just the soundscape. It feels like Star Wars, but it feels different and gritty right. and like new, like all at the same time. Yep. Including, um, well, so I don't, I don't know if you guys noticed this. I only noticed this cause somebody on the internet pointed it out, but the intro music, which is typically fairly minimal, but it's different every episode. I did notice um, it's different every episode. Um, and it, you know, like the, the Mandalorian theme is very different than most Star Wars themes, but like I can hum that, you know, but and it's yes. Wonder, and, it's, and with this, has like anyone made a supercut, I bet a supercut of the end or oh, yeah. intro music makes like a, a nice thing. Yeah, and you're uh -huh. probably right. And I, I didn't mean to, I'm sorry to interrupt, but yeah, just pointing out that, you know, you hear that that Mandalorian music every episode. And with this, we see the the planet, you know, like the, the, the intro video is kind of the same, but the music's different every time. Go ahead, Chase. I, well, I think that suits each show. The Mandalorian theme should be the same every episode because he's on the adventure of the week. It's that kind of show. And that's fine. Uh, it's like, you know, what's he going to get up to this week? Uh, it, it, you know, it, that's no problem at all. Andor is very much, um, 
changing throughout this show. Oh, yeah. uh, Cassian is, is going through, the, his, his mind is being changed, his experience is being changed. Um, it, we get from the beginning where he's like, look, I'm just trying to like get by and uh, you know make it from one day to the next to you know ultimately we know he's going to become a, like a super spy for the rebellion, right? And so this is the story of his buy-in to that. This is all about a transformation and um, and and not just of him, but also of, of the the Rebel Alliance itself. But I mean, the music mirrors that, right? Like it, when things are looking pretty glum and everybody's in prison and there seems to be no way out, intro music's a downer. When there when people are full of hope, uh, the music's more uplifting. And then in that last episode, the music is the funeral march, which itself is just incredible. Um, what a sequence. I mean, we'll we'll get to that last episode. Uh, there's plenty to talk about there. It, what a ride. But um, I mean, what a, what a great way to use music, not even just as background music, but as part of what's happening uh, in in the narrative uh, to really set the stage. And I was on the edge of my seat and the, the music was a big part of that. Brandon, I think you're muted. Of course I am. Uh, any other notes before we move to spoilers? We got a lot to talk about in kind of some more detail, but like it's it's obvious we all like the show. I feel like I say that on every episode, but the it's just like there's Andor is so different than most Star Wars we've seen before. Like, and I'm applauding them for allowing this to be made, uh, and that is you know. I have been begging for them to get away from the Skywalker saga and show us something different. And this is still, you know, it's just, it's really adjacent. It's really, it's, it's bump. It's real close, but you know, I want, I'm really excited for this acolyte thing they're talking about because it's not going to have any characters we've seen before, you know? And that's what I want more star Wars that feels different and that doesn't, involve people that we know like an Andor is a big step in that direction uh, and it's proof that you can do something different and that people will respond to it um and uh i you know i just i i love the show the show would be good were it not star wars and even some of the other star wars tv that i i have liked i don't think that it would work if it wasn't star wars um you know so that's a it's 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 good tv you know people should check the show out um Okay, uh, I have I've thrown the spoiler button. Uh, feel free, we can we can now talk about anything we want. Uh, I want to uh, spoil the heck out of the first three episodes. Please do. And before before you get there, uh, the the first first thing that happens. Well, we've already talked about the the lights sliding by. The first scene, Cassian walks across a bridge and he's he's going to search for his sister. Uh, and you know where he he goes into a thing that it. It's heavily implied that this is a brothel of some sorts, and it's in Star Wars. You know, it's in Star Wars. It's in the first five minutes of a Star Wars, and it's on Disney Plus. And he walks into, you know, they they don't say it, but like there are women who are like almost oh, not they, subtly they sex say workers. It in episode three. They did. They, okay. So, they, they did. They did. Yeah, I, I don't remember so, that. Please go so, ahead, Peter. Again, I'm bad. I'm bad with names, but I want to get back to that first episode in just a second. Yeah, go. But, uh, Cyril, Cyril, when he's talking to his boss, says, "And they were in a brothel, which were not supposed or pleasure house. You know, it's, um, it's some euphemism for brothel, and at a price that they shouldn't have been able to afford. You know, w when his boss is walking through it, no, they call out that it was exactly what you thought it was in the first scene. 
Like, and it's, it's, it's not like this is halfway through episode six. You know, this is a, someone will turn on star Wars and it's the first thing that happens. Okay. But go ahead, Peter. This is burning me. This is the only thing that kills me about Andor. He's looking for his sister for the first three episodes. And then he's not. And it's like looking for a sister gets him into the trouble that we had to have to have Andor. But, but okay. A why there's all sorts of trouble to get into and B why did we drop it so hard? And I'm going to leave it there. It was I don't dropped, have answers. It was dropped so hard. I had forgotten that he was looking for his sister until I was reading the notes for this episode today. And you mentioned that he went to the brothel looking for his sister. Yeah. I mean, I think obviously we have a season ahead of us, right? Who knows what's going to happen? Uh, there's a real Chekhov sister kind of situation here. But, um, but it's like, it also kind of works for me that people are going about their ordinary lives. And for Cassian, that is looking for his sister. And the Empire won't let you do that, right? Because you're going to cross paths with them because they're everywhere. And they can't leave you alone. The, there's a big theme in this show of the Empire just, it can't help itself but tighten the grip uh, to use to use uh, uh, Princess Leia's uh, terminology that that she says to to Tarkin, uh, she they can't help it every single time, and every single time they do it, they fuck up. Like they every mistake the Empire makes is because they went too hard. And Nimic explains in the last episode, well, they're doing that because they can't. They have no choice. Their rule is unnatural. They can't not. Right, right. They, they. This is how they have to impose themselves. Where, on, you know, normally they shouldn't be allowed to exist like this. So they have to overdo it every time. And um, um, yeah, right. It's this is this is just an example. Um, the first example of Cyril Karn being the embodiment of that. Right, like he's like, no, we can't just let him go. We need to tighten the grip. And it's like. His boss is like, don't do it. Don't tighten the grip too much. It's not worth it. And wouldn't you know it, it wasn't worth it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and that continues to be the case throughout. Um, and, and I, I want to call out something about that, Chase. Um, so before this, before we started filming, I mentioned this thing. There's a mental situation called limerence. And it's an obsessive love, but it's also related to people who are just obsessive. And I think it informs the whole character of Cyril. Like, why would someone be like him? And it's because he has this mental illness of obsession. And, and what's interesting is, from what you're saying, it's almost like that gets connected to all of the Imperial. That they have a mental illness of obsession where they just can't let it go. Sure. I think... That's, I think Cyril is my favorite part about Cyril as a character is that obsession. And I think, I mean, I could be wrong. Obviously I didn't write the series, but it, I think it serves very well as a very meta observation of star Wars as a whole, because there is a, there is a sect of star Wars fandom who are very unironically fans of the empire, right. like not just, Oh, they look cool and stuff, but they actually like the empire and, and what we I finally saw one of, one of those 
we saw one of those in Star Wars, and it's Cyril, and he's so crazy. Even the Empire was like stranger danger when he showed up. They were like, bro, it is not good for you to be this into this. Yeah, right? and also, he has, like, I, I couldn't tell if they were clone troopers or stormtroopers, but he has action figures of them in his bedroom because, you know, he's moved back into his childhood home. Um, he's got them. Uh, he's that guy. Well, but the, the only two people in all of Star Wars that excited about the Empire and him and Sergeant what's his face? Moss. Um, yeah, the 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 guy who was there, who is oh. also like the Empire's, like you know what? Just go off on this backwater like industrial planet. We do. You are way too not chill for anything that we're doing. So I will call out that um, if you remember the Jen Urso escape scene one of the dolls that she discards is a stormtrooper but i have a strong feeling that she had another doll somewhere that used to beat that thing up i just i always imagined her like you know having the doll fights and beat them up that's not what cyril was doing no no he he might have been like take this separatist trash uh but no, he he had his in a dust cover and he would still take off the cover and dust it every week <laughs> yeah, Cyril is awesome. I, I mean, like, not actually awesome, but the character Cyril Karn is so sick. And, I mean, sure, he has, he has um, you know, obsession, which I think you're right, can be mapped onto the Empire and, and is, is, is explanatory because it's like, well, if you're not obsessive, you don't become an Empire, right? Like, you, you, you would just let things go on their own if you didn't have this quality of being obsessive. So I, I think there's there's a lot to that. Also, we see his home life, and he is desperate for approval from anyone, <laughs> just anybody. Like, like the ISB takes him and interrogates him. He's like, I love you guys so much. <laughs> and he's like, you should not love us. Like, dude, we're here to, to extract information from you. He's like, that's why I love you. <laughs> Uh, uh, this is just a test. I understand it's a test. Now I'm going to stalk you right to the ISB office. Right. That's great. Shout out it to uh, yeah. Edie Karn, Cyril Karn's mother, played by, I think it's Ka uh, Catherine Hunter is her name. Um, she's uh, uh, an actress that was in the, the HBO's Rome that came out like when we were in high school, and I loved that show. Uh, and she's awesome. She's and in this show, she's also awesome, but it's she's awesome because she sucks. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what we've had a lot of bad dads in Star Wars. We've had a couple of okay moms. They're usually there to die. No. Um, but now we have that mom, the one that you would be so terrified if that was your partner's mom. Let's just say like, you, you have a bad mom in Star Wars. It's like, uh, it might be a bad so mom. Good. I mean, like and, the criticism of his brown suit or the height of his collar or like the the trajectory of his career just all of it is just like unrelenting and he can never get one over on her he can never one up her he tries sometimes and it's just so impotent it's so, oh, oh. it's so good no those those scenes are like you could argue like well this isn't really directly about andor or whatever but those scenes are so great and you know that cyril's going to be there to keep throwing wrenches like, he's not going to let Andor go, and he's not going to let the ISB agent, what's her name? Dendra. Uh, Dendra, Dendra Miro. I think he's going to become ISB. 
Yeah, I mean, he loves her and he hates Andor, and that's enough to just make Andor's life suck. You, you're you're not wrong. And since since you brought up Dedra, I want to talk about Dedra. Um, Dedra, there's a there's a progression here with Dedra, and I don't know if I would call it a character arc. Um, because I think she's really like, she doesn't change much as the season progresses, but the way that the show shows her changes in that first arc, you know, that first little bit, she comes up in the show and it's like, and it's painted like, okay, this is going to be the empire character that we sympathize with. Okay. Maybe the empire isn't all bad. It's all, you know, and the, like we've said earlier on, like the, the show is really good about showing us why the empire's terrible, but Dedra is this like woman in a man's world kind of character. So it's like, Oh, okay. So she's just, um, she's a, the stuck in a, in a patriarchal uh, system where she, you know, she's just trying to prove herself and say like, okay, I can be just as good as the, as the male agent next to me. Um, except later on, we, uh, we then find out that that's not who Dedra is at all. Dedra's a fucking fascist and she is terrifying and uh, just nothing but applause for Denise Goff. Who's just like, there's the, 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 the agent Miro is like, it's, she might be my favorite character on the show. And it's because I hate her so much. Yeah. It's true. Like two things are true at once. Yes. She is a, a girl boss. Yes, queen slay like like she because she's good at her job. She yes, she like she is right about things. She is owning these other people. She's got good ideas and she's got like an unorthodox approach, um, and it works. And it's like okay, cool. I'm rooting for her. She's an underdog here. Um, and and I mean that um, the the actress uh, was was she gave an interview that was like, yeah, this is this is how this is supposed to be structured. You're supposed to be rooting for her at first. And then you're like, wait a second. No, she's a bad guy. Um, so bad. Excuse me. Yeah, it's uh, very good because it betray. It, it really illustrates something about audiences that's true in so many different franchises. They were easily you know? manipulated. Exactly. We'll root for whoever you show us, right? It's like, oh, yeah, I hope Walter White gets away with this one. Or like, yeah, uh, you know, I hope that, um, that uh, the Joker – beats batman this time the joker's so cool and i was like wait no he's he's not like he is a bad guy and i see why you have have a whole series explaining to us that the joker is really the bad guy right right i mean you can you can watch american psycho and be like i sure i sure do hope patrick bateman can not get caught for these murders but like no wait wait a second take a step back just because he's the protagonist of this show doesn't mean he's admirable. Uh, and, and I mean, that's that's what we're experiencing with with Dedra, too. And I think that's lost on a lot of audiences where they're they're just totally like, yeah, I want to be like Walter White. Uh, you shouldn't. You missed the point of breaking back. He's the bad guy. It's like uh, like people who who like love the Punisher for like all the wrong reasons. Like right. dude, the, the Punisher hates cops. <laughs> Yeah, or 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 you know, Scarface. Yeah, Goodfellas, The Wolf of Wall Street. I mean, the list goes on where people are like, "Oh, I want to do the thing from Wolf of Wall Street." It's like, yeah, but he was a monster. <laughs> Don't be like him. Okay, okay, we're we're talking about uh, people people who do bad things, you know. And I don't, I definitely wanted to wanted to touch on Dedra. Uh, we also we mentioned uh, 
vaguely we talked about Luthen. Um, you know, and Luthen comes into this show. He's a you know, he he hates the Empire. He's he he's here to burn it all down. Uh, and Luthen doesn't care what happens to people who he sends to the front lines because, you know, like and, and I think I think he even says it not not so like suddenly like, oh, we lost 80 people. O OK, what? Why does that matter? Like, you know, because there's the the end goal is so much bigger than one man who gets shot in the process, you know, and it's not. You know, we talk to, to talk about uh, Luthen, Peter, you're you're, you're uh, or no, Adam, Adam, you, you haven't talked in a minute. Um, what well, what I do have, you I, 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 yeah, Adam, I, I know Peter. Yeah, yeah. Peter, Peter, okay. go ahead. I have a very small point about Luthen. Yeah, please. OK, first of all, there's this interaction between Luthen, Luthen and Cassian where Cassian says, basically, I thought you were in charge. And uh, Luthen basically says too bad, like. Here you go. You're going off to work for someone else. But because of the entire arc of the season, I don't think that Luthen is actually the mastermind. I think that Luthen's assistant, and again, I'm bad with names. I think she's the mastermind. And I think that what we're going to find out is that Luthen is there to do what he does, which is be deceptive, be scary as hell sometimes. Like, I think that he is the mouthpiece for his assistant. Mm -hmm. Clea, that's her name. Yeah, Clea. Yeah, yeah. So I think that Clea, I think we have another woman of Star Wars who is a badass, but quietly in the background, a lot like Mon Mothma. And so I think, I think one of the themes of this show is that the people that you think are in charge aren't. Sometimes. I don't know. Yeah, and I think that's supported also by this notion that Luthen says of like, look, I'm not going to get the glory for this. I, I'm not going to see the sunrise for this thing I'm working for. Mm -hmm. um, it, right. It, it's about working behind the scenes. It's about sacrificing your ego to mm -hmm. accomplish your larger and goals. I'll, and I'll also throw, throw in a thing about Luthen that we we're given some hints towards uh, early yeah, on, but he's he's, I don't, do you think he's a Jedi? I, that's not what I was going to say. Uh, Luthen's oh. a coward. You know, oh. it, Luthen, he doesn't he doesn't want any part of of the, the fight on the ground. Like at the as soon as shit gets hot, uh, you know, he comes to he comes to Mar Marva's funeral in the final episode to pay his respects, you know, and he keeps his face covered. You know, he knows people are looking for him, whatever. But, you know, as soon as uh Things get a little hairy. He he up and leaves. He doesn't stay to fight back. He sneaks away. Like you know that he is. He's not well, proud of it. But I don't know if that's. I I, I think Luthen's I don't know if that's a coward. Cowardice, or if that's just how spies work. Yeah. Like we okay. like we think of James Bond like there's our, our quintessential spy, and he's gonna stick to the fight because he's James fucking Bond. Like that's what he does. But that's not how a spy works. Because just like he was saying, like just like Krieger's guys, like the their plant is worth way more than anyone's life so him still being there is worth way more than what he could shoot a few stormtroopers in that final confrontation like what's he really going to do it's it's the weighing and balancing of the situation and knowing when it's time to say all right this is already great for us it's time to gtfo and not be here because it's even better if they don't suspect we had anything to do with it, because we didn't. Which is another not. thing informed by history, right? I mean, it, you know, like in World War II, the Allies cracked 
the the code that the you know the access Sigma code. code, but they couldn't act on every piece of information they had because then they would lose their their the most valuable resource they had, which is that they knew all the all the plans and everything. So people died. They they were thrown to the wolves because you can't blow your cover. I mean, there's another thing. It's a real thing. Uh, and yeah, I want can- I want to call out a historical reference there, Chase, that is directly related to that. So when the ISB agents allow the the dead rebel to like go through to the rest of the empire and everything without telling the rest of the empire and without tell to see what all will happen there was a i don't remember the name of the of the historical moment but it was british intelligence they packed a bunch of fake secret documents in a dude's suitcase and threw them out of a boat in the mm-hmm. hopes that the germans would find it and think that we were invading greece instead of france and it worked so I do like you, you. I think it was you who brought up the Scottish Highlands uh, kind of thing. I think that they're mining a lot of obscure British history for good examples of some of these things. And that's why it feels real. Well, and as they should, the empire is Britain. It's also America <laughs> sometimes, but it's also Britain sometimes, right? Like, like. The, the empire is the Germany. man, and George Lucas is all about sticking it to the man. Well, yeah. it's imperialism. Yeah. Right. Um, um, uh, operation Mincemeat, by the way, was the name of that operation. Sick. Yes. I, I'm going to assume they, you knew they, that, and you didn't just Google it. Um, the, I have a computer in front of me, but you can't prove anything. I, I've got a computer with three monitors, and I'm looking at all kinds of stuff. Um, there's... Uh, but no, one more, one more thing about Luthen, uh, and then I think we can talk about the show in more detail. But okay, there's a, a Jedi. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, damn it, Chase. Okay, you can tell He's me why you think a Luthen's a Jedi, but no, no, no the, he does have the style. There's more, more reasons why why Luthen is is not a hero. You know, the he 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 instigated this heist and set everything up, blah blah blah. Um, and then once it was over, you know, he has this little moment where he's like, uh, someone tells him, um. That, that they did it, that it was done. Uh, and then Luthen, like, uh, he plays it cool. And then as soon as he walks away, he starts laughing, like, oh, yeah, great. Um, but because he's realizing what it really means, and other people figure this out. The the point of the heist was, wasn't really to give the rebellion a leg up. The point of the heist was to make the Empire realize that these little pockets of rebellion are a threat to them. So it's going to make the Empire increase their chokeholds where they all, you know, it's going to make the Empire Imperial presence on these worlds even worse. So then that will make people realize that, that, the, that the Empire is terrible. You know, it was not to say like, okay, they stole a bunch of money. Money's helpful for a lot of reasons, um, but you know the the empire isn't going to miss that money. Um, what the empire is going to like is going to do is they're going to okay these these little pockets of rebellion are a threat, so we need to st- we need to shore up our defenses here. We and, you know and it, it increases. Uh, imperial presence on these worlds and that means that life gets a lot worse for a lot of people for millions of people uh because luthan set up this thing and he's like yeah that was the whole plan that was that was exactly what i wanted because uh, you know that 50 lives don't matter to me uh 50 million dollars doesn't matter to the empire it's because you know the 
am I am I doing like it's it ripples in the pond. There have been there's been rebel activity up to this point, but nothing that really proves that it's any threat to the empire at large. And because the empire knows that these people are out there and they're willing to do what has to be done, they're they're making lives worse for the average person. It's not the soldiers or the spies that are fighting for the rebellion. It's you and me and that guy down the street who just happened to live on a planet and I want to go to my job every day and provide for my family. But now the empire is doing like they're inspecting my my suitcase every time I go to the office. And it's because right. this guy on this planet two, two systems away uh, stole a bunch of money from the empire. You know, so it's uh, and Luthen's like, yeah, that's that was the whole plan. And it's because because they, they want you, Luthen doesn't want soldiers to rebel against the empire. They want you and me to rebel against the empire. They want you and I and Peter and, and Chase and Adam to say, wow, the empire is really making my day-to-day -day life hard for reasons that I don't really understand. So I'm going to go, you know, I'm, I'm going to stand up against the empire because me and my friends are, you know, are now fighting to, to get our bread for the week. Um, and it's, uh, am I am I am I off base here? Like you're, you're uh, no. people people are nodding and not saying anything. That's like Indra confirms that. Yeah, I mean, they, they, says, they mention it. This was not like a, a set. They weren't robbing us. This was an announcement. Yeah, um, we we are here and we are willing to to we are willing to get your attention. Yeah, and that's also plugged into a big theme about this uh, uh, this show, which in addition to the fact that the Empire only knows how to respond to things by tightening the grip again. Yeah. Um, and Luthen correctly identifies that. Uh, it's also there's there's a theme that Luthen conveys to Cassian. Cassian conveys to to Kino in prison um, and, and is kind of echoed throughout, which is that the Empire doesn't care about ordinary people. It's not afraid of ordinary people. It doesn't care. Uh, it doesn't view them as threats. Um, and, you know, Aldani is a declaration that you probably ought to start caring. Um, people are not happy and they're serious about it. I, I don't think that they really anticipate that there's any kind of change to be elicited from the empire, but rather I think that they intend to embolden one another by saying, Hey, I don't like the empire and you're not alone if you don't like the empire too. Um, just making a big public statement that like, Hey, everybody's doing it. Everybody's rebelling against the empire. Uh, it could be you too. Um, and, and, you know, I, I mean, that's that's uh, that's kind of what this whole show is about it, as to Andor in particular, because, uh, you know, like we talked about earlier, Andor is such a person who is being convinced. He, Nemec describes Andor as his ideal reader for his manifesto. Luthen comes and lays it on pretty thick to recruit Andor. It takes the whole sequence of events of the show to convince Andor, like, yes, I'm fully rebelled up. Um, but like, that's what this is about. It's about emboldening people and we see it happen to Andor. Uh, so yeah, I mean, Luthen's plan is good, but he's, he's doing it in a pretty dark side way for a Jedi because he is a Jedi. Um, and I, I say that like mostly joking, but also not totally joking. Um, there are subtle hints there that are far from, uh, uh, you know, dispositive but they are um they are nonetheless interesting to think about because luthan described looking at luthan's monologue to uh 
to his little his little ISB boy. Um, he, he talks about like, what have I sacrificed? I've sacrificed like my inner peace. I've sacrificed my morals. I've sacrificed like everything I believe in so that we can beat these guys. I'm using the tools of my enemies to beat them. And like, that means I'm damned, but it's okay. It's for the greater good. Well, if you're a Jedi, then you would have a real problem with doing dark side stuff, right? You would be using the tools of the Sith, but he's saying like, okay, well, whatever. Like the force can be mad at me, I guess, but like, this is what I got to do. And he wears all black all the time. And he's a really good pilot. And he carries a walking stick around him that's kind of suspicious. He doesn't like people checking out. And uh, he, um, uh, there's some other stuff too. I don't think he's really a Jedi. But what I do think is interesting is where are the Jedi in the rebellion? We know that Yoda is hiding. Obi-Wan is hiding. Ahsoka's not a Jedi. Uh, Jedi can't do this job. And so if there were all Jedi who found themselves interested in overthrowing the Empire, they can't do it. They, they won't do it. They would have to sacrifice the Jedi code. They would have to dip into the dark side, as it were, or become a rogue in order to do this. And if Luthen is a Jedi, which is, uh, again, a joke, then that's what he would have to be doing. He would have to be making that sacrifice he would have to be willing to fall on the sword and say, I'm doing the wrong thing so that this can end. Um, and, and that would make him actually very important in a way that, like, imagine if Yoda were on the scene. Yoda's leadership and his ability and, like, like his, his wisdom and everything could be applied helpfully, but he's, he's a non-factor. Um, and so whether Luthen is a Jedi or not, um, it, it illustrates that sometimes you have to sacrifice some of these ideals that you hold so highly. And we see the same thing with Mon Mothma, right? Where she's like, quote out there. What's that? Can I throw the quote out there? Please. I'm down yeah, for what I do. My anger, my ego, my unwillingness to yield, my eagerness to fight. It set me on a path from which there is no escape. I yearn to be a savior against injustice without contemplating the cost. And by the time I look down, there's no longer any ground beneath my feet. Mm. What is my sacrifice? You know, so I mean, that's the line. Yeah, it's sick. It's sick. But, but it's all to say that, um, you know, I, I've been thinking about, like, how would Padme fit in all this? Padme was an idealist to the end right? Uh, she believed in the Senate and that things could be done the right way and then, well, then she died. Mon Mothma was like Padme and now she's coming around to like, okay, maybe this isn't going to work that way. Maybe we have to break the rules. Um, it's a sacrifice something. Right. That's something that the Jedi, the Jedi we know about are not a part of. They just show up at, at a late hour and they say, you know, we do have superpowers. We can help you execute this this plan to blow up the Death Star. But they're not a part of the rebellion, really. Um, and, and it's it's because it's incompatible with the Jedi Code to, like, fight for something, to care about something. Uh, except, I guess, when they were just the military arm of the Republic. But uh, but now they they're not around to right that wrong, uh, and I think that that think, makes them the cowards here more than Luthen. I think 
Well, it would be interesting if Luthen did turn out to be a Jedi, because that would mean that we have a, a new, complex type of Jedi that we haven't seen before, and a Jedi who isn't focused on just being a Jedi, and I think that would be interesting. But more importantly, I think him, if he were a Jedi, it does a disservice to every other character in the galaxy, because... Otherwise, every time we have a character who talks about sacrificing their morals, they'll, okay, then he must be a Jedi. So the Jedi are the only people in the galaxy who can have morals that they need to sacrifice? This isn't that kind of show, really. It's not the kind of show where it's going to be like, oh, he was a secret Jedi. But but, um, it's more uh, just a buzz until just now. At least I hope it's not that kind of show. Yeah. No, you guys, the 38 people that are all Disney execs that listen to this show... Y'all just changed their minds. They just threw out like, the last hey, half of season two where he pulls out yeah, his lightsabers. Season two, they're like, and... hey, no, we got to scratch that. No lightsabers. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's already had a lightsaber essentially on his ship. So that's yeah. a thing. I mean, I mean his ship rules. His ship ship rules. Too cool. I mean, on a sci fi level, I have significant problems with melee combat on a starship. But Star Wars isn't sci-fi anyway. It's space fantasy. Everything's fine. Yeah. Yeah, but also, bro... It has lightsabers no on the side of it. it. Yeah, no one expects a ship with lightsabers. <laughs> yeah. Were they lightsabers or were they just like like super long laser things? I have no idea, but... They had to be the same tech as lightsabers because we've never seen... Like a sustained a laser. laser. Mm. Yeah, it, that doesn't exist in Star Wars. So it basically had to be lightsaber tech and he just cut people down with his ship, which is not helping my case that he's not a Jedi. But, uh, but if he is a Jedi, I hope they just yeah, never admit I, it. That would I, be again, I would not be surprised, or if it is admitted, it's very minor. But again, I do think if he were a Jedi, it does a disservice to the morality of all other characters in Star Wars. Yeah, I know what you're saying. Like, However, we still have um, Cyril's mom. I'm sure she has a moral code. She's definitely a Sith. One hundred percent. No, no doubt there. She's just a bad person. No, I don't even think she's a bad person. No, I don't think that she's a bad person. What I think she is is a mother from a certain strata in society who desperately wants her son to succeed, and is like a very annoying mom. I don't think she's. I don't think she's a bad person like a Sith is a bad person. You're she's a she's a baby boomer parent. Yeah. Well, she's I'm, a helicopter mom. I, I, you know, I, I mean your uncle got you a job. I feel like you can be a bad person without having to be a Sith who murders entire planets. Yes. Like, there are bad people who never kill anyone ever and are yeah, still that, really that's shitty. What I'm saying beings. is I, I think that she's a shitty mom. <laughs> but I don't think she's like someone that we need to blow up on the Death Star. Well, I think you make like, a really a really good point, which is that like she she has these aspirations for her son, which is a function of their station in society, right? Like she wants the family to emerge from their lowly position, and the vehicle by which they do that is her son, and he continues to disappoint her. And she has a vision of how this should be done, but but you know, it, he keeps letting her down. And, you know, this is really kind of something that happens in the kind of stratified society that you see in an empire. 
Uh, I mean, you know, in, in a more uh, equitable society, you don't have to be this kind of mom, right? You don't have to be like, hey, Cyril Karn, you have disappointed me on our one ticket to get off this low level of Coruscant where we only see the sun for a moment every day. Uh, instead, you can be like, you know, if you want to be an artist, that's fine. <laughs> You can do. You can. Yeah, I, don't, I, I don't. I don't support those middle class aspirations. I'm all for Cyril's mom, but I, <laughs> Adam, you had some say. Did you, dude? No, I was. I was gonna say. I think. Um. It, I think you're like dancing around why, in my mind, she is one of the worst people in Star Wars, <laughs> and it's possibly my opinion on a type of parenting because her aspirations are not for her son. She doesn't care about her son progressing. <laughs> she cares about him hauling her up with his own mm. progression. Right. So, like, it's not its not that she wants him to be better and that there's only one way she sees that happening. She needs him to be better because that's the only way she can advance her station. And that's, that's exactly right. But, but yeah. perhaps in a fairer society, there would be other avenues to make that possible. She is... Uh... I mean, Star Wars is a shit galaxy to live in. I think that's what this show proved more than anything. Is, no matter what, if you're trying to, it's a unless you like live in like right at the end of the old Republic, when like right before the Clone Wars, things probably pretty okay. But other than that, any time period you pick in Star Wars, it sucks. Yeah, it sucks if you're like yeah, uh, like middle class. Life. It sucks if you're poor, uh, as we learn from Mon Mothma and her high society life. It also sucks, sucks if you're if rich. You're rich. Um, and yeah. you're, it's a good. That's a good uh, turn to make because there's another mom in the show. Uh, did we? We didn't Mom, know that Mon Mothma had a kid, right? There, there, there. She may have. Oh, in, all we knew is that she looked great in white and and cared about Bothans. And she does look great in white, and she looks great in every other color too. In this show, her her fit yeah. is just absolutely, uh, as the kids say, on fleek. So, and is this the second actress or the third for Mon Mothma? Second, she. Uh, it's the same okay, actress so that played her briefly in episode three. And then she came back in Rogue One, and she's back here. But yeah, so it's um, that she, she also yeah. voiced her in Rebels. Yeah. Oh, did I didn't I didn't know that. That's that's even better. Yeah, great. Um, so she's made a lot of money off of those Bothans. Yeah, dude. Um, so but we I I bring her up as a mom because she also has aspirations for for her daughter, and they do not include being married off to some gross rich guy per the traditions of her homeland of her homeworld. But her her daughter like is rebellious and also blah blah blah. But she's also just kind of she's doing her own thing and she seems to be okay with it, uh, you know. And just yeah, yeah. Adam, there's a very short scene and it's where Mon Mothma's daughter is doing the traditional, uh, I'm not exactly sure what it was, but the, the, the traditional prayers or lessons or whatever they were doing. And she makes a comment how she's much more into it than they are at home. And it's, and it's the only thing that she ever living. shows up on time for. Yeah. And, but it's because she's not on their home planet. She's in Coruscant. So she has to identify with something culturally but it, it raises an important question, especially when a minor or your, especially when it's your child is involved, is like, if they don't have a problem with it, is it still bad? Because it's obviously it's still it's still really morally shitty. But how do you answer that question? And it's it's a, it's another good example of a character wrestling with a gray area that just because she is 
adamantly opposed to it, even though she needs it, it you're right. It doesn't seem like her daughter is as opposed to it. Is that worth? Yeah. So I, I want to address this directly. I am apparently not very bright sometimes. And so for the first, like, all the episodes that we've seen Mon Mothma, I'm like, why are we, like, focusing on the fact that Mon Mothma has a terrible marriage? Why is this the Mon Mothma has, has, has marital problems Her husband problems sucks. Yeah. Her husband sucks so much. And her daughter yeah. kind of sucks. And so when you put all that together, Mon Mothma knows how much it sucks to be in an arranged marriage. And she doesn't want that for her daughter. And her daughter kind of sucks, which I think allows us as viewers um, to kind of be okay with the fact that she just sold her daughter off. <laughs> But I'm not okay but, with it. I'm not not okay. I'm not I'm not okay with it either. But I think again, the if the central theme of Venture Brothers, which is a cartoon I really like, is failure. I think the central theme of Andor is sacrifice. But it's not ultimate sacrifice. It's sacrifice little by little by little. And until there's and nothing left. Saw, until and, there's nothing left. Yeah. Except and, for the greater good. Right, like like it is right. It is for something. It it's not. It is for something. nothing left. But it is it is until there's something that isn't personal to you anymore. Uh, it's bigger than than any person. Well, it's it it shows each character again wrestling with that line between what what is good or evil or right or wrong, and how they justify scooting another inch past that line. Right. And and so my Mothma's story, I think, is the most complex. It's more complex than, you know, everybody hates Cassian is what they should have called the series from the beginning. Um, and and he's really nobody sets likes himself him. up. Nobody likes Cassian. And that's hard for me as a viewer for the first three episodes. Nobody likes Cassian. So but Cassian in a lot of ways. Cassian. Exactly. And he kind of. And he creates his own trouble. But what you see with Mon Mothma is, yes, yeah, she's kind of created her own trouble, but it breaks her heart to go through what she's going through. Whereas with, because she knows what love is, right? She's a mom. She knows that ultimate love. And she knows the pain that she's about to put her daughter through. So Luthen is okay with 80 people dying and Mon Mothma is destroyed over what she's done to her daughter. Luthen, it sounds like maybe once upon a time was not okay with 80 people dying, but he has buried that. And now you open up the elevator doors and he's standing there in all black with his cloak billowing in the wind on this little bridge thing. Very evocative of Darth Vader in on Bespin. Uh, you know, another dark Jedi. and Also evocative um, of Blade Runner. Yeah, um, but but you know it, it's like he has become a lean, mean rebellion machine, right? And Mon Mothma is in the process of of getting there. We know from the sequence of events that follow that she never fully gets there, right? I mean, she. Uh, I think the the canon story at present is that. Um, you know, after the rebellion defeats the empire, she's really quick to demilitarize, which leaves them vulnerable to the first order taking over. Um, I don't love that storyline, but that's what happened. 
Um, and uh, so, you know, she does eventually revert to to as soon as she can um, uh, a more pacifist uh, uh, approach. And we see an exchange in Rebels also with her and Saw Gerrera, where Saw is admonishing her for being too soft. You know, that was made before this show. Maybe they're not exactly uh, in step with one another. But uh, nonetheless, at, at present, we have reason to believe that Mon Mothma isn't quite as far down the road as Luthen has gotten. Um, and, uh, and you know, she she will jump back as soon as she can. And we, um, we, we were talking about Luthen uh, a lot. You know, the, the what Luthen understands what has to be done and doesn't, you know, he doesn't care if we lose a few people along the way. But, um, you know, Mon Mothma is on the other side of it, even though they are allies, right? Up until the Aldani heist, you know, she is bankrolling him indirectly. He owns his little, like, antiquity shop and the way that he's financing these little black ops that he's that he's that he's doing is because she goes in there and buys stuff and just claims to be a collector because that you know it gives them a way to to launder money basically she has you know she's loaded he's not but he owns this little this little store so he's go she goes and buys overpriced merchandise so that he can right, find his little operations that. and then she finds out what he's actually done with the money and then she's like wait this 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 can't be what what has to happen. This you know, like she's. We were just talking about how she's shattered because she has to give away one person, and now other people are going to die because of this. And then she realizes, okay, the empire is going to increase their chokehold on all of us, and it even happens to her. Right? She is. They begin monitoring her finances. Basically, you know, like she can't. That you know, they're so even though they are. At least at the start of the show, you know, they they want the Empire to go away. They want life to be easier for people. They are allies. But they she realizes after Aldani that she she isn't willing to do it Luthen's way. Um, you know, and, you know, and that creates some conflict and that kind of breaks them apart. And then turns out that this Vel character that was involved in the Aldani heist is her cousin, um, you know, and so then they're her cousin kind of takes the reins on the. The Fae, or not the, on the Luthen method, uh, while Mon Mothma goes to deal with her personal stuff. But, you know, they're, uh, again, they they begin the season together with similar goals in mind. And then once she realizes what has to happen, she's not so sold on the idea anymore. See, I think that it's the opposite. That they start off, they don't have the same understanding of what's going to happen. Because after all, Donnie, she's like, you did What? Right. And and then he's like, yeah, what did you think we were doing? OK, and, maybe and, uh, I think maybe he, I mis misexplained because I think I, I, I agree with that. Like she she agrees with the cause, but she doesn't sure. under, she doesn't understand the method yes, she, and what she was actually paying for. for. Yeah, but I think effectively convinces her that this is what has to happen and that this is what she's been on board with all along, because the next scene we see her in. She's now talking to Takeoma about like, okay, how can I get more money? Like we got more, we got more work to do. Okay. Um, yeah. I don't think that she maintains her position of being aghast at what the, the rebellion does. I think he, I think Luther convinced her as he convinces everyone. He's very persuasive uh, force or not. Um, also, I just remembered he is in possession of a Kyber crystal. He has a bunch uh, of cool stuff. Yeah, Kyber Crystal hey, is very important to Chase, him. Chase, Chase, I really, really want 
Darth Jar Jar to be a thing. Yeah, right. And Darth, <laughs> Darth Jar Jar is a lot less convincing than <laughs> Luthen being uh, a Jedi, but you're ruining it for me because you have too many good examples. And um, on that note, guys, this has been the best chat I've had about Andor, and I really appreciate it. I hope when I drop in a couple of seconds, it's not going to screw up the video screens. But if it does, viewers at home, it was because Peter had to go, not because of anything else. It's all good. I'll make it work. Uh, thanks for hanging out, dude. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Are you guys still with me? Still with I'm you. I'm still here. Okay. As long as Discord's still working, we, we can keep the show going. 20 more minutes. Hey, that works. Great, Andor. Uh, but we are still in the spoiler zone. Yeah, absolutely, still no, in the spoiler, still zone. In spoiler let, zone. So let me get the let me get the spoiler thing back up. Um, keep, keep talking about Luthen and why Luthen's awesome and why he's terrible. Oh, well, here's a here's a thing that because I uh, I missed that his shit was called the Fondor, so I I very smartly Googled it when somebody mentioned the Fondor, and Fondor is also a planet that was part of the Techno Union. Yeah, I, my understanding was it is a Fondor ship. It is not like that's not the ship's name, but we don't have another well, name. Just, right, that's fair. But it, it parallels um, Cassian's parents because we also saw that during the Clone Wars, they very obviously sympathized with the Confederacy because they were running away from the Republic. And we that's something we haven't really seen in Star Wars is people who sympathized against the Republic and against the Empire. And maybe that's a nod to perhaps he was along that side as well. I don't know. That's all speculation at this point. We don't know much more about his backstory. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I um that scene was very interesting because I think that it you know, the scene where the ship crashes on um mm -hmm on uh, on Cassian's planet um, is uh, before the Clone Wars began. Um, and the the insignia on the on the uniforms of the people who are on the ship that crash is like it, it is the separatist insignia, but from before it, this was the separatist, you know, the Confederacy of Independent Systems that that is uh, rebelling against the Republic. Um, and, uh, we don't fully know what happens on that planet. It sounds like there was some kind of mining disaster. Uh, I don't know if yeah, that was, was a rug. Yeah, but, um, but it's interesting. You know, I hadn't thought of it in that way that they didn't like the Republic so much as I just took it to mean they were wary of the law. Um, uh, but, but certainly the Republic is the law. So yeah, that's a, that's a good, uh, point. Oh, I think it's echoed again further along because then when you see them on their home planet, there's a very brief moment where the Republic is doing what the Empire later does. Republic was being the oppressive force on their planet. And we see this clone troopers and Cassian or somebody, you know, steps out of line and the clone trooper turns around and his dad kind of stands in front of him. I, it was a brief scene. I don't remember all the details from it, but I do remember that there was that moment when it was very heavily implied that who they were standing up to was the Republic, which again, is, it's an interesting take because that's not something we see in Star Wars. Generally speaking, the Republic's the good guys. 
Yeah, I understood that to be the the very recent empire, right? Like like they were more they won the war, and they're like you know doing a victory parade. Um, and of course they they've got clone troopers, right? And it's you're right, the Republic becomes the empire, and there isn't it's not a bumpy road, right? It's like they were already doing the things, um, and and you see some of that in Clone Wars, and I love it every time we get a little glimpse of it, uh, where it's like, you'll see the Republic cruisers like fly in, looming ominously over a planet that's like, hey, we don't want to be occupied by anybody. And it's like, those look the same as Star Destroyers. The, this they is are common. Star Destroyers. <laughs> um, so, I mean, you know, I think, I think that that is intentional, but it's not something they dwell on enough. Uh, I know Marva in her in her hologram speech in the final episode does mention that the Confederacy and the Republic both had a presence there. I guess the implication there is during the Clone Wars. But the reason the reason they always kind of weathered it was because, as she says, they were sleeping like they didn't make a stir. And mm -hmm. that's that's part of the problem. And that's how the, the whole series ends, obviously. Well, it'd be interesting to see more of that moving forward with the story because, again, I don't. It's not something we've seen. Somebody who stood against what we perceive typically as the good guys, and then also the Empire. Yeah, and you know that seems to be the subject matter of Bad Batch, right? That that like you've got the Bad Batch, they're Republic troopers, and suddenly they're displaced, and they're like, we don't really, are, well, you know, our our chips don't work, so. We now have a problem with with the fact that uh, the continuity of the the Republic into being the Empire, um, and I think Bad Batch was pretty mediocre so far. But I mean, it's a it's well positioned to explore that transition and how. And you see it at the end of Clone Wars too, right? Where by the end of it, you know, Ahsoka's on trial based on circumstantial evidence and Tarkin is like leading this up and he's like, Ooh, I'm so excited to like prosecute a Jedi. I am so pumped to like finally get tough on these guys. Also I'm running a bunch of military prisons. Like this has all happened very recently. And it's like, what? so we're basically full on empire now and the war's not over. Um, and uh, you know, I mean, that's, that's clearly, you see the rise of Tarkin of you, Lauren, of of these mm -hmm. kind of uh, this this soon to be empire brass uh, from a military that didn't exist prior to the Clone Wars, they did not have an army. That's why they needed the clones. Uh, and you know, this is part of the tragedy of the prequels is that you see it all happening, and you're like, guys, stop! And you can't <laughs> stop them. And that's such a hallmark of a tragic story. Um, and you know, it, it's kind of. Uh, a, a different take on tragedy here in Andor where we know Andor is going to die. We've seen Rogue One. And yet everything is building up to that tragedy being very hopeful. Something that actually like we're excited to get to that point because along the way we're building something positive. Um, and man, that the last episode really drove that home for me, it, it was extremely um, like it, it wasn't the first episode of the series. I was also like ready to jump uh, 
into Star Wars and fight the Empire uh, in um, when they were breaking out of the prison in one way out. Yep. Um, man, they did such a good job of getting the audience hyped to fight the Empire, which is uh, that's what's happening for for Cassian they, too. They made Empire bad again and like actually bad, and it's the best thing Let's, that Andor did to me we, for Star Wars. Period. Okay. Like, in we, the discussion, like you made the Empire bad. Yeah, we 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 get you know 15, 20 minutes left. Um, we're coming up on two hours here. I there are a couple of things I definitely want to hit. Uh, let's talk about the prison arc, because the prison arc is amazing. Uh, you know, and they're they're Adam talk talk about my boy Kino Loy and Andy Circus and why he's incredible. Dude, Andy Circus like for the first like episode and a half that we see him, he doesn't even say much. It's just some like very obvious scowls at in the direction of Cassian and friends because they're saying something or they're doing something a little off program. And he'll just like say a couple words, but then there, there's so much in his face. And it it shows you early on that that he can convey that message to his guys without even saying anything. So then as that arc progresses and he is still silent he's listening it, it also shows like he's listening he's always listening for his guys to step out of line so that he can make sure that they step back into line but that like just because he's telling them not to pay attention obviously he's paying attention the whole time and he starts to see it and he doesn't want to hear it because he's close to getting out but inevitably the truth like oh well all of our numbers doubled uh, like oh now people are dying so yeah the people are dying but we're also at the bottom of an ocean who knows how why they're dying like you don't know any details then you hear it from the doctor like okay no they they screwed up and they let it slip that literally nobody gets out when you get out you just get shuffled along to the next one mm. and they killed everyone because of that With and our, our, our buddy Ulog. See, yeah but just to see the realization on Andy Circus's face as he's coming to terms with like that, the, the, the Ulog's having a stroke a or whatever. Showing it, yeah, and they're they're sitting they're sitting on the ground, and they're like the the medical guy comes up, um, and then Andy Circus, uh, Hino Loy, he's you know he's asking like why aren't you why aren't you helping this guy like what we can we we can save his life right now, and then it's like and the the doctor in not so many words basically says bro we don't do that like the cart is coming to take away a dead guy you know this is not we i mean basically you know we we could help this guy but we don't do that here <laughs> um uh, right well also you know kino has to believe that there is a light at the end of the tubble, tunnel for for um ulof ulof I think Olaf Ulog, damn it. Um, he has to believe that because he wants it to be true for himself as well. That's what this has all been for. And Kino also has to reckon with his own complicity. Olaf, in... yeah. Olaf, yeah. Kino has to reckon with his own complicity in the Empire's system here because even though it it's not really up to him, it's a task that's been given to him, he is telling people do this work and do it well. He is telling people, get on program, follow the rules. And, and I mean, you know, again, what choice did he have? He didn't really have a choice, but nonetheless, he was doing it. Um, he was, he had become kind of like the middle management here. And, um, and it's a difficult position for him to be in if it's all for nothing. 
uh, that that's a position that he, you know, if if this is he's just doing what he's got to do uh, to get out. OK, maybe you can make peace with that. But if it's for nothing, um, then then he's really done wrong by a lot of people. Uh, and, and you know, you see that with like he 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 is interested in people's success. He wants them to get out. But but that's because he believes that getting out is real. Um, and, uh, and he does such a good job of conveying his change of heart and his just his horror at realizing that the, the sole driving factor of all the things he's done, uh, for good or, or ill has, it has evaporated in front of him. Uh, and then, and then again, when it turns out he can't swim, um, oh, dude, that's a tough one. And it's, oh, it's heartbreaking, dude. Like sunrise that he's never going to get to see, right? Like he did the brave thing. He he mustered up the courage. He led everybody. He he saw the bigger reason for the struggle, but he's not going to be the beneficiary of it. And you know that's well. The he's got, he gets knocked off the cliff, and then he gets sucked into one of the water turbines that knocks off half of his face, and then he goes on to found the first order. Yeah. Uh, is that yeah. how it goes? Is that is that what happens? Uh, <laughs> that's that's my fan theory. Uh, you know, and they. Uh, but, no, but, I think I think ahead. his story arc is like the 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 overall arc of the entire series season. Um, it's Cassian for the first half, then it's him for like the next quarter, and then you have the final story arc where it becomes everybody. Is that like you might try to just get by with your life and ignore the empire, and Cassian just wants to ignore and walk away from the empire, and he's trying to be a little bit complicit with the empire. He doesn't like it. He's stuck in the stupid prison planet doing this, but he's going to do what he can to make sure he can get by with the expectation that okay, I'm not going to stand against the empire. I'm not going to like really help it, but I'll help it as much as I have to to get by myself. And he comes to the same realization that everybody does, which is inevitably that means it's going to cost your soul because the empire is bad. Yeah. Um, and uh, Kino is also such a great person for us to follow along with this other theme that I don't think we've talked about yet. M maybe we have uh, of like the empire isn't listening. The Empire doesn't care about you. Yeah, we did kind of uh, kind of briefly touch on this, but but like the Empire doesn't think about you. It doesn't care about you. It um, isn't afraid of you because it doesn't you expect a small one man craft to be any threat, or else they'd have better defenses. Right, right. It's it's there. It, it's you know a, a hubristic uh, fatal flaw um, that they have, but it's um it's something that um that we see illustrated in a flashback in the final episode where Cassian's dad, Clem, is um, showing Cassian how you like clean off these, these parts, some kind of some part, you dunk it in some liquid and all the rust comes off. And he's like, you know, people aren't looking down enough at the valuable stuff that's all around them. You can clean this up and it's really worth something. And, it, you know, that that is... I think that that's what this season illustrates is that like these prisoners thought that they were nothing. They thought they had no power. Um, they thought that they could never touch the empire because the empire is just too big. 
Well, they could. Um, you know, the 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 uh, rebels on Aldani and the Aldani people are just like they're under this such a massive boot. How can you ever do anything? Well, they made a statement, and eventually, sure, they'll you know the rebels will steal the Death Star plans and blow it up. Um, it they they just they have to realize that collectively they're stronger than when they're apart. And this is this is what Luthen's engaged in, right? Is is getting them to to collect, mm-hmm. to to build an alliance. And he's trying to reach out to Saw Gerrera and get Anto Krieger and and you know recruit Cassian and Vel and all these people and build this alliance because everybody, uh, all the individual pieces have a lot of value. You just got to dust them off and and put them put them to work uh, for for something uh, worthwhile. And, and I thought that was a really elegant um, metaphor. And using prisoners, I thought, was a great. I mean, you know, who's who's more cast out of society and and told that they're valueless than someone who is literally cast out of society into a prison to not interact with it anymore? Uh, but but together they're strong. Um, and and right. that's- and in and in doing so, also establishing that. But just because this is a prison, it's easy to avoid sympathizing with prisoners because maybe they're all murderers. We don't know that. But no, no, no. Cassian literally like walked around a corner and there was a there was a trooper there. He didn't even bump into him. He just walked around the wrong corner at the wrong time. <laughs> so we already established that the rest of these guys in this prison, maybe they did actual crimes. But by and large, the chances are that it wasn't nearly as it, like I doubt any of them or many of them were some kind of serious criminal that we couldn't sympathize with. The Empire just needed a bunch of stuff that they couldn't afford to pay people to make, so they found the arbitrary reasons to lock them up and force them to make evil space hexagons. Well, it's it's not a it's not a coincidence that the entire time they talk about being on and off program, they're viewing them as the same as droid labor. Mm-hmm. Right. And you don't listen in on droids like talking to each other. You don't care. You're not interested. Nobody's listening in this prison, which like the prison is undermanned because they don't respect the prisoners enough to think that they need that many guards. They're trying to cut costs. It's like what what Cassian says, like in that first arc, like they uh, how do I get in? I just walk in the front door like I'm supposed to be there. They don't expect someone like me to sneak in the back door and to spit in their food and steal their weapons. Like, you know, they just, they're, the, the, the Empire, I guess, has bigger fish to fry and they don't think that one person's a threat. Right. It's, as, as Chase was saying, like, it's, they don't look down, they don't respect the, the little people on the bottom. And that's, that's not only the advantage to little people and the impetus to rise up, but it it's also illustrates the problem with the empire because while they're not respecting them as a potential problem, that also shows that they're not looking after them in any proactive way. They're not doing anything to benefit the little man. They are completely ignoring them except when it can be some kind of material benefit to them. Right. In the in- future. When there's a dead guy on the floor of the prison, they just leave him there. Uh, yeah. You know, the, not, the, the cart guy comes. No, yeah. Are you, are you talking about like during the escape? No, no, no. Before that, there, there's okay. a guy who just he, uh, you know, he walks off on, onto the floor in the night. Um, and uh, you know, I, I it's not. I don't recall if he 
if we know if he killed himself or if he simply misstepped. Uh, but whatever the case, there's a dead guy on the floor and they're like, well, we'll be smelling him all night, right? Like the empire isn't, isn't taking care of those things. They right. don't need, they don't care. Um, then I, I do want to, we're, we're coming up to the end here. I, um, like people die in this show. Sometimes there are character, they are characters we know. Sometimes they don't, but like the, in the first episode, you know, Cassian gets into an altercation with some security guys. He accidentally kills somebody. You know, that's what really gets him into trouble. Like he, you know, he resists arrest or whatever, but no, like he, the guy hits his head and dies. And then later on, uh, when there, and this, um, there's this recurring thing where like climb the climb thing where like this, someone says climb when they're trying to, when they're trying to escape after the heist or when they're trying to escape the prison. And then like, okay, when they climb to get away from Aldani, just some cargo shifts and falls on Nimic and Nimic dies. Like he didn't, it wasn't some heroic death. He didn't get shot saving Cassian's life. It was just some bad shit that happened while they were trying to get away. Uh, and then they're the climb they're they, they're trying to get out of the prison. They're climbing up on this lift to, get up to to where the guards and the weapons are and you know and some some guy that was just helping me build this space hexagon two minutes ago gets shot in the chest and that guy's dead you know and it's like it's un well, kind of unceremonious think... and it happens and it's climb climb but when you climb some people don't don't make it to the top of the climb That's... well i think that one thing that this series did better than any star wars because obviously it's star wars there's lots of death people die from the beginning of star wars and that's part of it, but that's just part of what happens in a war. But what Andor does is it shows one a little more personality to it, but it also I, I guess maybe a more of a of an honest mortality in it, because not only like with the when they're escaping, the he gets crushed, but then also the Imperial officer apparently dies of a heart attack in the middle of the heist, like. There's it introduces a different level of mortality to Star Wars that we hadn't really seen before. The only mourning that we've ever done in Star Wars was like very austerely standing next to a funeral pyre and like dramatic music playing in the background. But in in Andor, like when Marva passes away, we get to see B2 mourn and not comprehend that she's gone. And that is like I'm almost tearing up saying it because he's. His 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 mourning is the most heartbreaking thing I think has ever happened in Star Wars. Yeah, but it also shows as a community how they handle her passing, and it's such a beautiful thing to see that much culture in Star Wars that mm. we kind of got hints at in Naboo before, but we've never really seen anything that deep. And having twelve episodes to kind of build it up allows that, but. And then it's a beautiful thing, like being baked into a brick. And the Empire rolls their eyes and they're like, I can't believe I'd want to, like, who would want to be baked into a brick? And you're like, are you kidding? Like, at first it was like, yeah, that's kind of a weird thing. But no, it's it's beautiful to be baked into something that's going to help protect your family and your people. And it's like, gonna you're always going to live for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's it was a very pretty, it was a, a, a gorgeous cultural concept. But... More importantly, it introduced real, honest, communal and individual mourning that we'd never seen in Star Wars. And most importantly, Marva got to be used to beat the shit out of a stormtrooper, and she would be so proud of that. Yeah, that rules. Well, in community, something I don't think we see many communities in Star Wars at all. Uh, sometimes we'll see a party at the end of a trilogy. Uh, but like 
Ferrix is a rich community full of customs and 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 you see like if somebody's trying to chase a real community member through the streets, they can't. They can't catch them. They the real community members know the streets better. Uh, when when you know Cyril Karn was trying to like catch Cassian, he was totally out of his element. He's not a member of this community. You, you see, in the prison, they have built a community. In um, yep. the, the Eldanis have a community, and and that community is. Um, is a real emphasis and a strength that um, that the outsiders can't can't really effectively take away. Well, I think the main the main characters that we have through most of Star Wars are incredibly transient, and they find themselves in places filled by very transient characters. So, like in Mos Eisley, maybe you have some locals that are that close knit, but probably 40 percent of your population are spacefarers who are in and out every week. So you you don't have you haven't had places to have that kind of culture, and when we have seen backwaters, it's usually some kind of transient port town, not a close knit industrial mining, I guess, town that 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 they were. And it's yeah, it's it's another one of those wonderful things that the series adds to Star Wars, and really gives more meat to the bones of Star Wars, and. For example, when B2 was mourning, looked at my fiance and I was like, droids mourn. Like, I guess we saw R2 kind of go once or twice. <laughs> but like, no, this is like legit, legitimate, honest mourning. And like, that's something that like we've never touched on. And like, I've never thought to ask, do droids mourn? And I think that's one thing that Andor did overall for the whole series was they answered questions I didn't know I wanted the answer to. Yeah, and I, I mean, there's something b- before um, before we wrap up. I, I have a question for you guys. Yeah, that, dude, go. Um, you know, this is a show that is not like other Star Wars shows. Um, and it seems to me, based on interviews and things I've read from Tony Gilroy, like he is not the Star Wars super fan that other Star Wars creators may be. Uh, he's I mean, he he likes Star Wars. He's made a Star Wars movie before, but he's not like, all right, this one's going to be a Star Wars ass Star Wars. Right. Like he he's like, I want to just make a good show. Um, and I think he succeeded there. And I think the fact that he was approaching it as a story that he wanted to tell first served it well um, at, instead of uh, instead of saying like, all right, I got Obi-Wan Kenobi on my hands. What am I gonna stick him? In? What what am I gonna do with him? Right. I got Boba. What am I gonna do with him? Instead, he's like, I have a story I want to tell. Andor is a good character to tell that story. You know, let's let's go. Andor doesn't have a lot of baggage with him. We can do whatever we want. Uh, I am concerned that Disney might look at Andor's success and say, okay, we gotta make more Andors. We gotta make <laughs> every show look like Andor now. And that's not really, uh, I don't want them to do that. I want them instead to have a more um, more open-minded approach to what Star Wars can be and what kind of creators can do good work with Star Wars. And I guess my question is, if you're Disney, how do you do that? Like, how do you vet people or, or give them a test run or, or tell, like, what are the things you're looking for to identify, okay, I do want Tony Gilroy not particularly hyped about J.J. Abrams or vice versa, right? Like, like, how do you pick and choose who your creators are going to be? I, well, I think, hmm. 
that that's a hard question to ask. Uh, and you, the reason you know it's hard is because Star Wars has been trying to answer it, or Disney's been trying to answer it since they took Star Wars over 10 years ago, and they haven't figured it out yet. Um, well, but he did it in large part no, I don't. in Filoni, right? And he's done great, but he's just one guy, and everything he does kind of has the same feel. That's fair. Go um, ahead, Adam. I don't think it's... I don't think it's as hard to answer as we might think, because, yeah, they've been trying, but they've been trying to do different things, because I guess the question that you need to ask is, what is Star Wars? If it's like, who's going to make the, the right Star Wars? The question is, what is Star Wars? Because Andor, like we all said it at the beginning, it wasn't your traditional Star Wars fare. It showed us something different in the galaxy. It just told us a story in Star Wars as a setting. But I think by the end, Andor was one of the most Star Wars stories that's been told since the acquisition. And I think that's the realization, as I alluded to at the beginning, like originally I was like, this is how you do Star Wars as a setting. But it ends up very much with Star Wars as a genre of the, the, the battle of good and evil and that you can't always look down. But I think who you're getting to do what with Star Wars, and again, what is Star Wars? Uh, to pull out J.J. Abrams' name again, I loved the new Star Trek movies when he made those because I was not a huge Star Trek fan. I was a passing Star Trek fan, and those movies were a lot of fun, and I enjoyed them, but I also knew so I a like lot of actual one. diehard Star Trek fans, and they could not stand those movies because it avoided what was Star Trek. Into Darkness is terrible. The other two are good. To me, Star Trek was like, Star Trek was like, we got Spock, and we got transporters, and we got the Enterprise, and we got some phasers set to stun, and we got photon torpedoes, and you got Captain Kirk being a smartass. That's it. That's Star Trek. It's like, no, no, no. There's a lot more to Star Trek than that. But J.J. Abrams didn't give us Star Trek. He gave us a movie with all of the Star Trek tropes. And I think what Disney's been trying to do is give us movies with all of the Star Wars tropes. On that point, I would agree. This is, like, this, is, this is what we think Star Wars is, so we should give them things that are like that, but they're, like, they haven't nailed it. And I would rather... Okay, I said something similar during our my Black Panther review last week, because uh, the, the new phase of the Marvel Cinematic Universe... Uh, has been divisive, you know, like some there are movies people like there are movies people don't like, uh, but they are they've been giving creators they've been freeing up the reins a little bit more than they have in the past. Uh, at least that's that's how I feel about it. Um, and they're doing things that are a little bit different. You know, like Shang-Chi is uh, a love letter to like old Kung Fu movies, but it's got it's superheroes. Uh, and then like Multiverse of Madness, it's it's got a lot of problems, but it's you know, it's a Sam Raimi movie and it's a Sam Raimi movie through and through. And like it reminds me a lot of like drag me to hell. Um, so like I would rather they take the reins off and not be so precious about what they think Star Wars is or should be, and they should let creators pitch a, pitch a Star Wars thing and make a Star Wars thing that's a little bit different and try something new, even if it doesn't work quite work every time. Or like sometimes maybe we get something that's like almost there, but it didn't. Like and and I think Andor is an example of this. And I think Andor works with with flying colors. And it's a reason that this approach works. But there will also be, you know, the person the next show comes out and it's okay, we did something new with Star Wars that we haven't seen before. And maybe that one isn't as good as Andor. And people are like, oh, oh God, we shouldn't let people we shouldn't just let anybody touch Star Wars. What's happening here? And we've heard that conversation before. You know? Um and I well, will I, think- I will say that I think as the a problem with that go ahead the problem with that approach is that that 
Again, Andor succeeds in the end to be very Star Wars. And well, that's the, the only the, thing it avoids is being Star Wars tropes. I mean, and but that's the, the that's the thing, you know, like there Star Wars. you can you can do that and you can make it. It feels it definitely feels like Star Wars, but there's never they haven't put a story like this in such a limelight in Star Wars media before, you know, like at front and center where everybody can watch it, you know, and I'm not going to claim that I've read every expanded universe novel or seen every comic book page because that would be a flat out lie. I, you know, I don't read. I like comic books. So so be it. But it's. You uh, you can do something different and it still feels like Star Wars. Like this is a very different story than the Skywalker saga, yeah. but this feels like Star Wars more so than some people might say some of the other Skywalker saga movies do. You know, so it, it's I would rather people try something new and different than and maybe they don't hit hit exactly the right place every single time. Then we keep getting the same thing over and over again. Um, now I will, I've got a little wrap up to do. It's seven 30. We, we, Adam's got a hard out that happened two minutes ago. So I, um, I, uh, in that case, any, any final words, uh, chase, and then I'm going to, I'm going to do the wrap up thing. Um, my, my final words are, uh, that Andor is really good. And, uh, I'm, I can't wait for season two in 2024. Yeah. It's going to be a while. Um, uh, yeah, that's, uh, thanks everybody thanks for watching um i'm not gonna i'm not gonna bother doing my graphics i'm just gonna read it uh as always thanks for watching if you want to hear more don't forget to like and subscribe adam's peacing out oh god i'm gonna go i'm gonna go to the intro uh my name is Brandon. I'm Engine25 on all the things, sometimes with an underscore. You can find us on YouTube and podcast services by searching Engine25 Reviews, no space in Engine25. Uh, we'll be back soon with a new review. And until then, go watch a movie. Thanks, guys.